Lord, we ask you to bless this evening as we look at your word. We ask you to guide and lead and let us see what you want us to see from this section. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting at verse 14. Of these things, put them in remembrance, charging before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. And their word will eat as does a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the foundation of God stands sure, having this seal, the Lord knows them that are his, and let everyone that names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. So here we go. Paul has been talking about people being faithful. He's been talking about enduring. And he goes, of these things put in remembrance, to remember these things, to understand, to control. And all through the scriptures, God says, remember. Because what is, what's the reason that we have to remember is because we tend to forget. <laughs> Plain and simple. We all forget. We keep forgetting what God has done. We keep forgetting what God is telling us to remember. And as many have said, we, we as people, remember the things we shouldn't re remember. We remember the things we should forget and forget the things we should remember. And we do that over and over again. Uh, we, don't, we don't accept God's standard of who we are. We don't accept his forgiveness. And re, you know, when we're attacked by Satan, we're going, oh, yes, I'm terrible. I'm miserable. I don't deserve any of this. And so we go through this. And then he says, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit. And I think this is very interesting. Strive, fight, argue over words that don't mean anything. And this is something that I see so many times. And I even spent much of my earlier life arguing over things that were totally worthless. And... I've said several times, even for the scripture, I have strong beliefs about everything I believe. But if somebody wants to disagree with me, I'll, I have no problem. If they want to disagree and we can debate civilly, I have no problem with it. That's fun to do those things. If they want to make, put a flag on the hill and die over it, I won't do it because it's not worth it. They're not going to listen to anything. But there are a couple things I will say. Number one, the word of God has to be the only thing that's true. And inspired by God. Jesus is the one and only Son of God who died for our sins and was buried and resurrected and is coming back for us. After that, there's not a whole lot. Now, everybody who knows me knows that I'm very strong in what I believe and I can defend what I believe, but it's not worth arguing with people about things because all that does is cause divisions. And we see it in today's world. Our Politicians cannot debate anything without having great discussions. But here we are, even in our day, politicians can't debate anymore. They name call each other and, and take a stand on it. They won't, they won't discuss things. And half of what they discuss is total worthless babbling and, and totally not valid. We have so many Christians who will do the same thing. They will fight and argue over the tiniest things and we've seen churches split now talking to different people you know we're a baptist church and how many different flavors of baptist are there well over two or three hundred different flavors of baptist 
and there's not really an ounce of difference between most of them because it's one little doctrine someplace that they go, well, you believe this, we cannot, we cannot fellowship with you. And it's like, what is wrong with everybody? Can't we think, yeah, follow Christ? Fine. Well, there are a couple of things that, were, that are issues, but there's not that many issues between all these different churches. Striving, looking at the divisions that are putting in, you know, that on there. And it says, but the, to the subverting of the hearers, to the destruction. So this striving, this arguing, divides us and puts wedges in, in between people. And this is the thing about it. Right now in our world, our government is trying to divide and conquer everybody. And we see this Satan doing this to the church all the time. Here's something big. You've got to make a big deal out of this. And it's not that big a deal. You know, it's not a salvation issue, and it's not, it's not an eternal life issue. And people will be divided over these things. And we're told here, remember them and, and be careful about this. And then verse 15 is wonderful. Study to show yourself an approved workman, uh, unto, approved unto God, a workman that needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We are to study. And this word for study means actively study. You know, put some effort, work at it. So we are to study, and why? To show ourselves approved. And this word for approved is the word dokimos, which means accepted. But to study, work diligently to show yourself approved to, unto God. So this whole idea study to show yourself approved unto God. This is kind of funny. He's not saying study to prove to other people around you because that just creates righteousness, uh, self-righteousness and arrogance. Well, I'm smarter than you. I know more about the word of God. But to show God that we are studying his word so that we can see who he is because the word of God tells us who he is. And our studying is not for me to be a show-off to everybody. It's to learn how to walk with God. And I've seen many people over the years, and even when I was younger myself, I studied to show off. I know more than you do. And, and that's not what we're trying to do when we're studying. We want to know what God... And then it says, a workman that needs not be ashamed. Somebody who is out there trying to learn about God. That we are not ashamed of our relationship with him. I know what he, what he wants. I know what he requires. And then I get to start living the way he wants me to live. And this is very important for us that understanding, uh, you know, and when he says that we're to be approved, the word for approved is dokimos, and, and in the Greek world, the, the dokimos was the person who would take the gold coins that were out there and make sure that they hadn't been shaved. Because they were, they, what people would do with their gold coins is they would take a sharp knife and cut around the edges and take away some of the gold and then melt down the gold and use it for other things. So the dokimos would look and say, this coin is not been shaved. It is the right size, shape, and weight. And God is saying, we are to be that kind of proof. We are the genuine article before him. And that's why we study for this. And we're not to be ashamed, 
rightly dividing the word of God. And rightly dividing means to cut straight. Do we look at God's word and say, this is what it says? Or do we read in what we want to read into it? And unfortunately, many times people will go into the word of God and say, well, this is what I think it says, so this is what it means, instead of taking it at what it says. I want to study to know his word, and that's, there are people out there that just study it because they want knowledge. And I guess, yes, I want knowledge, but I want it to be accurate knowledge about God, not just, just knowledge. Because if I want knowledge, I'll go read any book. When we're reading and studying God's word, we need to learn to understand, understand it enough to apply it to our life so that it is useful. And then we put it into application. Because it's, it's very interesting. I mean, we can study. We can even know it real well. But, you know, a simple verse, a real simple verse that we've probably all memorized is Proverbs 3, 5, and, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. Now, the question is, how many of us actually apply that to our life? Not None of us always. And some of us a little more than, than, than others, some, but very few of us, even the majority of the time, apply that verse. And yet, God says in a very straightforward, do you trust me? That's the first question. Trust in the Lord. So if we're not trusting in him, then we will lean on to our own understanding. You know, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Very simple verse. Do we fully live it out? Do we fully believe it? Now, and that is very interesting when we look at this. Do we take these verses that we know and actually live them out? Do we truly believe them? And this is so important. Do we truly believe what it, what it is that we say we believe? Do we really believe God's word and live it out? Are we a workman that needs not be ashamed? Or are we just people with lots of knowledge? And I've met many people that have memorized lots and lots of verses, but they don't apply any of the verses to their lives. I used to work with the Iwana, the Iwana group, the oldest Iwana group. And they, and they didn't like me working with them because they would quote their verses, and then they had a big problem with me. I asked, what does that verse mean? They go, what? Nobody's ever asked us that. I go, it's, I don't want you to memorize verses just to memorize verses. I want you to know what the verses mean. Do we know what, we what the meaning is behind what we study? Or is it just a bunch of words? I try very hard as we do these lessons to try to say this is how we apply it to our life. This is how it becomes real, because I think it's so important. Now, are we going to perfectly apply God's word in all areas of life? Probably not. My goal is that we apply them more and more with each passing year, and so that we start getting better at applying God's word, better at following and being obedient, better at remembering, and that we become workmen that don't need to be ashamed, rightly dividing not putting my thoughts, not putting my ideas in the word. And this is very important. I do not want to put 
Baptist doctrine in, on top of God's word. I want God's word to go on top of Baptist doctrine. And if there's any place where it doesn't match, then which am I going to believe? I'm going to believe in God's word. Uh, if the denomination goes off, goes off the rails, I'm going to go with God's word and, and leave the denomination behind because it is important for us to follow his word. And wherever his word is, we go with what it says. And this is very important for us because I have seen so many people that just say, well, I'm going to believe what I believe and I'll find some way to make the Bible say what I want it to say. No, that is not rightly dividing God's word. Verse 16 says, but shun profane and vain babblings. Now shun is a very strong word. That is to push away, reject, move away from what is going on. And profane is common, things that are just common. They're not godly. And then babblings, you know, vain babblings, empty discussions. How many times have we been around somebody and maybe they chattered the entire time we were around them and they said nothing of any value? I've, I've been around people like that. It's like, can you just, I wanted to say, can you just shut up for a few minutes if you have nothing to say? And sometimes, you know, it's interesting, you get around people and a lot of times it's because they're lonely and have had nobody to talk to. And so they just chatter the whole time and about nothing that's important. And you know, I understand you know, that you know, light banter and stuff may be, may be useful. Uh, chit chat can be useful. I'm not a big chit chat person. I'm not a you know, banter person. When I talk, I would like to be saying something that's important and valuable. When people are talking to me, I want them to be talking about things that are important and valuable. And God says, shun those things. You know, this is where in our day and age, I would say our televisions, our radio stations, what are we listening to? What are we watching can be profane and vain babbling. You know, uh, most of the talk shows that are out there are just empty, empty talking heads that mean nothing. And what is the result of these? It says, for they, un for they in will increase unto more ungodliness. When we are listening to empty communications, it will lead to ungodliness. When people are spouting off their opinion about things, then there's no foundation for it. It is very interesting when we look at this. When we look at these people that are following the crowds, what are they following? Most of them don't care about what's going on. They just want to be part of whatever's going on. What, what's going on here? I don't know, but this crowd is really riled up, and I'm, and I'm here to, to support that riled up crowd. Well, what are they riled up about? I don't know. Don't care. And yet, they will be in the midst of this. We will hear people you know, drumming up a storm. One of my biggest problems that I have, and be, even being a conservative, I listen to these conservative talk show shows on every once in a while, and all I hear are angry, bitter people speaking and when they and then they start calling people names and and are derogatory to them I'm going you have the argument on my on your side why are you becoming stupid you know, and this is so important because 
and I've talked to many people when they would use, they would take these names and stuff that, that, are, that they're hearing these guys say, and I'm going, why are you doing that? You cannot talk to somebody and make a case when you're, all you're doing is being nasty and mean to them. You know, we need to be respectful to those who disagree with us. Because if we're not respectful, they're not going to listen to us. They're not going to care what we have to say. And we need to be able to say, I understand that you're having a problem with this. Let's talk about it. And I've said it many times in our church. I want anybody and everybody to be in our church. I don't care what sins they're committing because we all commit sins. Now, am I going to say their sin is okay? No, I'm not going to say their sin is okay, but I'm not going to condemn them for their sins because we all have sins. All of us have some sin in our life that, that if we wanted to be, you know, if somebody wanted to condemn us, they can condemn us for those sins. But we don't want to focus on, I don't want to focus on somebody's sins. I want to focus on what God has done for them, that he has died for them so that they can be forgiven of their sins and that he can come into them and change them from the inside out. And this is the important thing. How do we deal with people that disagree with us how do we deal with the lost world you're a terrible sinner you get out of my sight i can't you can't we cannot be anywhere near each other no that doesn't get anything but you know what we come to them and say god really does love you he cares for you well you know i do this well god calls that a sin but you know that's between you and him let's talk about what he did for you he died on the cross to cover your sin now there's a huge difference between those two types of approaches and our job as Christians is to love other people, to edify people, to build them up, to let them know what Jesus has done for them. He went to the cross for their sins. And he went to the cross for my sins. And this is the problem that we have. Sometimes when we get saved, we go, okay, I've been following God. I don't have any real big sins in my life. I'm okay. No, we're just as bad. We're probably worse at that point because now we're starting to drift into self-righteousness, which is even worse than the sins that we had before because we used to know that we were a sinner and then we start thinking somehow we're better than others. And we will never be better than others in our flesh. Now, God can work in me. He can perfect me. He can, he can make me more righteous. And, and look better, but I'm still no better than any other human being in my own flesh. And all of this comes down to what do I do? Who do I hang out with? What kind of, what language am I listening to? And, you know, what's really sad is when we have this profane and vain babblings going on in churches. And, you know, the, it can be something as simple of, as you know, we, we kind of hide our gossip behind prayer requests a lot of times. You need to pray for sister so-and-so. This, this is what she's been doing. You know, uh, you know and we kind of hide it. You know, we pray for her, pray for her. And let me tell you all about how bad she is. You know, no, that's gossip. Because we don't need to know what somebody's doing to pray for them. And I've had people go, I need you to pray for so. Well, what, what exactly do I need to pray about? Just pray for them. If you need to know what they are, they'll tell you what it is, but just pray for them. They have issues that God needs to work in. And so this is very interesting. He says, these vain, profane, will increase unto more ungodliness. The more we dwell on unhealthy, unrighteous things, the more unrighteousness we will do. 
This is the laws of sowing and reaping. I spend my time thinking about unrighteous things. Eventually, I will act out on them, and I will need more unrighteousness to be thinking about. The more I think about godly things, the more righteousness will come out of me, and the more I'll be wanting to follow God. And this is very true in, in each of this. And then he says in verse 7, For their word will eat as does a canker. So this is very interesting. Their word will eat, consume, in, in verse, as a canker. And this word for canker is literally an ulcer. All right? If you have an ulcer inside your stomach and it doesn't get treated, it will get bigger and bigger. If, you ever had, if you've ever had an ulcerated sore on your body, without antibiotics and everything, it will get bigger and bigger and look terrible and consume you. So he's saying their words will eat like an ulcer. And the only way to get rid of that would be through God stepping in. And have you ever seen this happen? Maybe you've been talking to somebody and they've been telling you all about this person that you don't even know and how bad they are and how mean they are and how nasty they are and how awful they are. And you get to the place where you hate this person you haven't even met before. And then finally you meet this person and you don't really know who they are and you think they're a really nice, wonderful person. Then you find out who they are and it's like, okay, now I'm mixed up. Was the words this other person who doesn't like them correct or was my impression of them correct? This is what happens when we listen to bad input. And I see this on our news channels all the time, on our our talk show people all the time. They tear people to ribbons. And we have attitudes about people that we don't really even know. We have attitudes about politicians, and we don't know who they are. We don't know why they do what they do or how they think or why they think the way they do. But we hate them because everybody's been hating them. We don't like them because you know, this person who I respect spoke nasty about them. And I'm not saying they're all good or bad, but we need to be able to get to know somebody before we draw these attentions and not let somebody else's attitudes affect us. And here Paul tells Timothy that there's two representatives of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus. So here are two people that Paul says don't have anything to do with them. They are a destruction to the church. Now, in Hymenaeus is also mentioned in 1 Timothy, and Paul says he's been given over to Satan. He is so bad that Paul says just totally let him go before Satan and see what Satan will do for him. And Philetus, we know nothing about Philetus other than this one mention. But what we do know about them, he says, who concerning the truth have erred. They have missed the mark on what they were teaching. And this is something we need to be very careful about who do we listen to for our teaching. All right? And I'm not saying you have to listen only to me, and you all know that I encourage you to listen to other places, but be careful. Even on our Christian radio stations that we have here, most of the speakers are good speakers and good teachers. But there's a few of them that are not that great a teacher. And there are a few of them that are mostly good but have bad teaching in certain areas. We need to know our word of God well enough to say, 
I don't think I want to listen to this person. And I had a teacher that, that I used to listen to on the radio. He was a great teacher, except for three months a year when he became a hyper-Calvinist and taught the hyper-Calvinism. And it's like, okay, turn him off for the next two to three months because he was way, way off, and he was way off in the, the far field on that. And so I turned him off. There's other speakers that I listen to on, the, on our local channels. They get on certain topics, and I'm going, okay, turn them off for the, for the next week while they're on this topic because they're, I believe that they are not correct. And we need to be very careful. And I've told you all very many times, I don't want everybody agreeing with me. That would scare me if everybody agreed with everything I said. Because then we'd be setting up a cult, the cult of Ralph. And I don't want a cult of Ralph. I want good stu students studying the word of God and saying, I don't fully agree with you. And that's fine. I may ask you, what do you believe and why do you believe it? And that's fine. As long as you can tell me what you believe and why you believe it, God will help correct you. <laughs> and I say that sarcastically because I know I can be wrong as well. But we see here, these guys erred. They missed the mark. And what was the one that he kept, they, they were saying, they say the resurrection is past already and have overthrown the faith of some. What were they telling people? You missed the resurrection. You have no hope. Jesus brought the resurrection and you are, you are we're not good enough to be part of the resurrection and you're not, and you're not, going, to, and you're not going to be resurrected. What a scary thought that that would be. Uh, you, you missed it. And this is something that is really interesting because so many churches teach this type of thing. They may not teach that the resurrection's gone, but they will teach you you can miss it because they will tell you that your works are what are important. You know, we, for, we are, for you are saved by grace, not by works. You know, and this is very important for us. Works are good. They will give us rewards but they don't save us. And we need to fully understand that. When I do good things, it's not making me better than anybody else. If I do the wrong things, it's not making me worse than anybody else. Now, will I lose rewards or gain rewards for my works? Yes. But I am not getting better or worse because of my works. So I cannot be going around judging everybody because if I start looking at works, then I'm looking at how do I stand against everybody else? Am I better? Well, that person's better than me. I don't really want to look at them or it'll encourage me to try to do better than them. That is not what we're looking for. And so many churches build their church on works. You know, and I do know pastors who won't teach God's grace because they're afraid that people will go out and sin or that they will get free of their, their rules. And my goal is I want everybody to trust God. I don't, I don't need people to say this is the rules that I'm following. And we've all seen it. If you've been around churches long enough, there's church rules in, in various churches. Hopefully we're not getting rules in our church. I try hard not to get them. But, you know, there's no rules to please God. We only come to Christ and we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And these guys saying, you missed it. Now, it's kind of interesting to me that they're saying they, that they missed it and they were still with them. By definition, they were going, we missed it too. We missed the, we missed the, missed the resurrection. You've missed the resurrection. We're all miserable together because the resurrection's passed. That would be an awful statement. 
know, we missed everything. There's no hope for us. And then it blew away their faith because their faith was in the resurrection. We look at our day. One of the greatest things we're looking forward to, I hope, is that Jesus is coming back. Now, he's going to come back and take his church out from here. The world is going to go through seven years of tribulation. Then he's going to come back and rule this world for a thousand years in an almost perfect world. The sin will still be there. And then the judgment will come upon the world and all will be destroyed and remade. Yeah. That is the great gospel that we have. I am looking forward to the day that Jesus says, come home. I'm looking forward to it. Of course, I'm getting old enough that I really would like to end the world to end and go home. The world hates us because we represent God. We bring light into, their, into the world. So they hate us, rightfully so, because we, we bring light in there and, and they don't like to see light. Now, when we get to the seven-year tribulation, we really have problems. All right, Satan doesn't have a 100% free hand during that period of time, but he is given a much greater latitude of what's going on. And not only is Satan good involved, but God brings 21 judgments upon the world during that period of time. And he kills off at least two-thirds of the population. He'll be gone when that, when that degree happens. Now, I firmly believe that we will suffer before the rapture. Now, the Christian church as a whole is already suffering in many parts of the world. All right. In Asia, Middle East, Africa, the church is suffering great persecution. So people will say, well, we're already suffering. And I go, I understand, but I think we're going to suffer here in America as well before the, before the rapture comes. I don't think we're going to get away with not having suffering. And we see the foundations being laid. We see our government turning against Christianity. We see our government turning against freedoms and, and stuff that we have been enjoying for many years. And I really do believe that we're going to suffer. Now, if we don't, that's fine. But I really think we're going to suffer and we're going to see suffering even to the point of possible martyrdom in America for being a Christian. And at the very least, being jailed for being a Christian. And we're going to see it. And we're going to be put into re-education camps because we don't agree with what the world says. And we're already seeing this whole process. Businesses have sensitivity training. If you don't agree with what the world says that about things and you're politically incorrect, you get to go to classes to teach you how to think correctly. And it won't be long before the government says, hey, we like that idea. We're going to put you into you know, re-education camps. And we're going to be there. It's coming. It's coming down the road. And we need to prepare our hearts for it because it is going to be there and it is there to destroy. Verse 19 says, Nevertheless, the foundation of God stands sure, having this seal. The Lord knows them that are his, and let everyone that names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. I love this. Nevertheless, Okay, here's this, here's this sto whole story. They're trying to overthrow us, the vain words. Nevertheless, the foundation of God stands. Foundation. This is really critical. If you ever build anything, you need to make sure you have a firm foundation. 
That means takes work. Uh, and I mentioned this when I was in California going to school, I was watching them build this building. They, were start, they had already started digging the foundation on this building when I first started there. Three years when I, later when I graduated, they had only spent six months building the superstructure, but they spent two and a half years putting in the foundation of this tall building because of earthquakes and all that other stuff. Digging, pounding, they, they pounded down beams and, and foundation, they laid cement. For two and a half years, they built a foundation. And then when they started doing the building, it went up, it's like, you, you went away for a week and the next thing you know, that's three and four stories tall and it's like, wow, you know, how fast can you do this in? But the foundation takes a long time. For us, his foundation can take a long time. We need to have a good foundation. And, but the foundation has to be built. What is, what is very interesting is Satan knows that the foundations need to be attacked. He attacks the foundation of Christianity. He talks, he attacks who God is. He attacks who man is. He attacks the word of God. What do we as Christians do? Do we attack the foundations of his lies? No, we play around with the, the superstructure. It is very critical for us to understand that we are created. Because if we're not created, then there's no importance to man. But we are created in the image of God, and that blocks a whole lot of problems out. Because if we're understanding we're in the image of God, then abortion is wrong, euthanasia is wrong, suicide is wrong, bullying each other is wrong, not edifying and not building up each other is wrong. Because we're destroying the image of God when we do those things. And we don't fully understand the foundational truth. And God's word has to be true and built in. And then I love this. We have this, having this seal, the Lord knows those that are his. God knows his children. And he knows who is not his children. Now the funny thing is, because Jesus said there would be many in that day that says, Lord, Lord, didn't I do? And he's going to list all these righteous things that, that are going to be a problem. What does that imply? Sometimes people do not know that they're his. And God says he knows his children. How do we, can we know that we are his? We look at how God is changing our life. And this is very important. It's not me who changes my life. It's not you who changes your life. It has to be God changing it from the inside out. It's not me doing, okay, God, I'm really disciplined. I'm really, really disciplined. I have got my life put into order. And there are a few people that are pretty disciplined and can, can avoid a lot of problems in their life. But that does not prove that you're one of God's. You know, just because you're disciplined and can, can take care of your own emotions and stuff most of the time does not prove that you are God's child. It has to be God in you working out. And so he says, God knows his. And then if that wasn't enough, and let everyone that names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. I have seen so many people that say, well, I can do these things because I'm under liberty. I can do these sins because God will forgive me. God will give me grace. Well, yes, that is true. But if you can say that kind of statement and you're not, and you're not convicted that what you're doing is wrong, 
you might not be one of his children. And I've said this over and over again, I'm not anybody's judge. Maybe you're just in a bad place. You're backslidden and you're in a bad place. And I know you in that place and you, and you look terrible. I'm going, I can't see that this person was ever saved. Not my job to know. But if you're one of his and you name his name, you should be departing from iniquity, departing from evil. And say, nope, not going to have anything to do with it. I cannot have anything to do with it. Now the problem is we all have areas in our life that we don't depart from the iniquity very easily. We're all going to have places. We're all, we're all kind of actually. In some area, many of us have problems in it. Some of us have lots of problems in certain areas. Besetting sins that we just can't seem to get over. And we need to be careful with those. It's actually the fallen nature that's the problem. Our flesh desires to do what's wrong. And we're going to have that problem. And in certain areas of our life, we're going to have something that we just can't seem to get over. But the question is, are there places where I can look where God has given me victory and victory and victory? And eventually that fallen, besetting sin should also fall. Or at the very least, I should be convicted when I do it. You know, it, I keep falling into it. You know, and we all have it. I've got my areas where I fall into it. I'm going... Man, I did that again. How stupid am I? You know, and I'm guilty and, I, and I'm sorry. I'm going, God, you know, I need forgiveness again. And that's the, that's the key. Uh, if I can just go out and sin and go, well, it's just God's going to give me grace. I have no problem with it. And I'm just going to go out and sin and sin and sin and sin. And, you know, I've got liberty. I've got grace. I'm not a problem. I've got, I've got a problem. Do I really know God at that point? The question is, did you recognize you were a sinner? Do you recognize that Jesus is the Son of God who died for your sins, and did you accept it? If those are true, then you're saved. And your emotions have nothing to do with it at that point. Your emotions are going to lie to you. I'm just not good enough. Well, that's true. You're not good enough. I'm not good enough. And if you're having real problems with this, I really recommend reading Ephesians 1 and 2, which, are, which have tons and tons of verses about who we are in Christ when we're saved. And look for those. You are statements in that in that section and if you don't believe it the first time read it again and then read it again read it again and if you didn't if if somebody was to read those two chapters for the rest of their of the year or the rest of their life until they fully believe it i would just say keep reading it until you fully believe what god says about you uh, because i have no problem that i'm saved i know that i'm saved because i truly have placed my trust in him and i've watched him change many areas of my life if he's not changing you, then you do have to say, God, did I really, do I truly, really believe that I'm a sinner and that you died to save me? And all of that is very important. And, you know, and I do, I recommend Ephesians 1 and 2, you know, over and over and over again until it is something that you believe. He's never going to change all of the areas in our life. Yeah. I, I wish. We won't allow him. I mean, he wants to. Yeah. But we... Do not allow our flesh to be crucified in certain areas. And even me, as long as I've walked with God, I have certain areas in my life that have not been fully turned over, that are besetting sins. And, you know, and when I commit that sin, I get so stupid and I go, why did I do it again? You know, how could I have done it again? And over and over again. But it is really important for us to understand who we are. This is why on Sunday mornings, a lot of the songs we sing, a lot of my songs that we sing are about who we are in Christ. 
because I want us to remember and keep in mind this is who we are in Christ. And we do over and over again. Yeah. We just keep doing the same things over and over again. And there's certain sins that we have not probably that we enjoy to a degree so we won't give it up give it up and then we do it and we're convicted that we know that we did wrong and we repent and we do it again and again but again the key to all of this is can I sin without conviction if I can sin without conviction I've got a problem I really do have a problem I may not be his child if I can sin without conviction follow, following on me. Can I ignore that conviction? Yes, I can get it to the place where I ignore that conviction to a degree. But I still know that it's wrong at, at some level. And if as long as I know that it's wrong and I'm under conviction, I should be his. And eventually, I may get tired of doing that sin enough to be able to give it up. And I've had areas where God has finally gotten the victory over my, over my sin. And there's other areas where I haven't given up yet. And, but I still know they're wrong. I still know. I don't, I don't go, well, it's okay. God's going to forgive me. I, I'm not a problem. I, you know, I, I'm covered by grace, so I can do what I want. No. <laughs> if I ever think that way, then I've got a problem before God. And, but when I'm looking at him and saying, God, I want victory over this area. Give me that victory. Help me. I repent. I did it wrong again. I am so glad that God is patient. He's so patient and he keeps forgiving, he keeps forgiving, he keeps forgiving. Now he does get to a place where he says no more and brings judgment. But he is so patient. When we look at what he did with Israel, he led Israel in and it took them almost 1,400 years before he said enough is enough and took them, put them into captivity. God is patient and it's an amazing thing when we see how patient he is. He took the Canaanites and gave them 430 years to come to the peak of their sin before he brought the Israelites in to destroy them. Over and over again, God says, this is what's going to happen. And this is what we'll see. And he says, I have got a plan. And I love it that God has a plan. I love it that he has a plan even when I mess up. I cannot mess up God's plan because he already knew that I was going to mess up. And that's a pretty amazing thought. God says, you're the one I want to do this, and when I don't do it, he brings in another person right behind me to take care of making sure that it happens. Please stop doing it because now maybe I just won't think about it. I'm not doing it, but I need to. At least I'm just thinking. and I. From a human point of view, that's a great thing. From God's point of view, it's still sin. From our point of view, it's, it's a better it's a better activity. The consequence side of it is better. The thinking of a sin is better than doing a sin consequence-wise. But it's still sin before God. And we need to be able to understand even my thoughts are, can be a problem. And we need to be so careful because you know, Jesus raised the standard. And we think about this. People like to look at the Old Testament and say, well, the Old Testament was nothing but laws and rules. It was. You know, they started in the Garden of Eden with grace and innocence. And then people were just expected to follow God. Then God gave them a bunch of rules that they couldn't keep. And then Jesus comes along and says, oh, you think you're keeping the rules? Let me intensify the rules. Now, if you've, you've heard it said, you know, that you shall not commit adulteries. And he goes, I tell you, if you have 
thought the thought of lust, you've committed adultery. And we look at these rules, everywhere the laws came, they intensified the, the way it was going. When the Jews were given the law, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, people were, oh, that's terrible in our day and age. In that day and age that it was given, they're looking at the Jews as being a bunch of wimps. What do you mean you can't go in? Because in their day, if you harmed me, I didn't just get back my revenge. I took everything away from you. And the Jews were looked at, well, you can only do an equal amount of damage. You guys are a bunch of wimps. You guys are a bunch of weirdos. And then Jesus comes around along and laws are being developed all over the place. And he goes, I want to tell you that even if you think the, the wrong way, you're guilty. And we're going, oh my goodness, what? <laughs> How much did he strengthen that law? Thinking became, became guilt. And it's a good thing people can't understand our thoughts sometimes. You know, how, many, how many of us would be in prison for murder if people knew our thoughts? How many of us would be guilty of adultery if people knew our thoughts? And God is saying, I want you to know that I have high standards. You will never meet my standards. And why does he do that? For, especially for those of us who have been in the church for a long time, we might look pretty good. We don't act out on most of our sins. But you know, most of my problem is in my mind and my thoughts anymore. I think that I should have lied, or when I think that I have this lustful thought cross my mind. So here we are at a standard that God is asking us for, wanting to be workmen that are approved of God. My thoughts have been cleaned up. My life has been cleaned up. And, you know, and I'd like to think, you know, after you know, the 52 years that I've been walking with God, I'd like to think that I'm getting better, and I am getting better in many areas, but I also am seeing places where I need to really have a lot more work in. And it's like, God, can I ever get to the place where there's no more work? And the answer is no. Not until I'm glorified and taken to heaven are we really, truly. But the one thing I do know, God sees me as perfect because I am clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Who are we? We are perfect before God because we have the righteousness of Christ. And this is the beautiful thing. If you are his child, God doesn't see you anymore. He doesn't see your righteousness. He doesn't see your sin. That doesn't mean we can go out and do all the sin we want and be as bad as we want, but God sees Jesus Christ when he looks at us as his children. We're going to end here. Lord, we ask you to just bless this day. Lord, teach us to study more. Teach us to learn your ways. Teach us to soften our hearts to what you say and to, to avoid foolish, vain babblings that will draw us away from you and into sin. And we just thank you for all you do and, and how much you care for us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, where will you be when you die? We ask this question of a lot of people oftentimes, and the biggest answer we'll get is, I hope I will be in heaven. If hope is your answer, you don't know God, and this is a problem. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of the sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. If you do not know for sure that you're going to go into heaven, please, today, make your decision to follow him. It is simply just ask him, Lord, I am a sinner. Please come into my life and save me and make him your Lord. If you've said that prayer, let us know so that we can send you a new believer's packet. You can contact us at 
office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or even pastor at chloridebaptistchurch.com or you can just send us a regular letter at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day.